0: Welcome to the Jiu-Jitsu of Life, a weekly podcast for BJJ enthusiasts who are striving to succeed both on and off the mats. This podcast is brought to you by Robless makers of the world's finest custom Jiu-Jitsu apparel. And here are your hosts on the Jiu-Jitsu of Life, Carter Fisk and Mo Siddiqui.
1: I'm a true pro. I don't stop going. I don't stop at all. So you No, just... I'll tell you, you know
2: what? I'll tell you where you're the best at it. Like you're just on another level because I can't get through it. It's when we uh, interview Caleb every single time. Yeah. You know, I guess because he gets a bad connection. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, man, is, is my computer broken? And I guess Carter's and Caleb's is working fine. Yeah. Uh, but apparently you're just playing along so well, you can't yeah. understand anything yeah. or you can like read lips really well. Well, you know, what? because you, you always do give like comments, yeah, that make you appear like you heard everything he said. And I'm like, I don't know how to intelligently <laughs> comment on what he just said because I didn't hear anything he said. so i I would just be talking nonsense.
1: But, I, I, I think I know like how this this because because you're right. I do I do think I have ability to, as I'm talking to someone, figure out what they just said, even if I only heard a little snippet of it. I think that this ability started when um, so when you know, I was a biology major in college and after I finished, I worked in a lab for about a year and a half and I worked for this Chinese woman who English was not her first language and she was great, but she was also very like um, demanding, shall we say. So she would say things loudly and this and pointing and whatever. And for like, at first I was like, I would ask her to repeat herself, which would means she would get madder and yell louder and this and that. So finally I was like, okay, I don't <laughs> want to have that to keep happening. So I realized that if I just waited for a second and kind of read her body language, most of the time I'd be able, my brain would start processing. Okay. I think it's this. And then I figure it out. You know what I mean? So I realized that sometimes a lot of times you don't necessarily, it's almost like when you talk about speed reading, where it's like you're reading sort of the first middle and, and end of something, and you're reading things in phrases, or the idea if you read the first sentence of a paragraph, you pretty much know what that paragraph's going to say, so you can kind of skim through it. It's kind of that. It's kind of like skim listening or something like that, because um, you know I I think that's part of where what it is, um, or I'm just completely faking it or or something. But <laughs> yeah, no. did left. you ever think
2: about learning Mandarin?
1: No, I mean, I could think about <laughs> that it. That probably would have been easier. <laughs> I don't know about that. That's it. You know
2: a- what, man? On the, going back to the speed reading stuff, dude, I have tried doing that, right? Like I'll read the first sentence and I'll read the middle and I'll read the end. I'm telling you, I do that and I get this idea of what they're talking about. And then I'm like, let me just go back and read the whole thing. And it's completely different from what I thought they were talking about. Yeah. Speed reading doesn't work, man. Not no, for I- me, it doesn't. Like I get everything wrong, everything. I really think- I gotta that. read the whole book. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, it's funny because I think with, um, and you and I've talked about this before, that about the idea that as we get older, like the the guilt of giving up on a book gets less and less. Because to me, it's like, there's some stuff you can read and there's some stuff you just can't. And to me, it's like the ones that were, where it's like you start reading and every time you start like spacing out or thinking about this or or anything, but what you're reading, it's like, Well, why are you trying to read it then? Because no matter what, oh, I think it's interesting, or so-and-so said it's good, to me, it doesn't matter. It's like, at that point, it's like, there. especially with with the world that is today, it's like, there's nothing wrong with being like, you know what, this is not the avenue. Even if I feel like I need to learn this material for something, um, maybe I need to listen to it. Maybe I need to watch documentaries about it. Maybe I need to find somebody who's being interviewed who's talking about it who's interesting or whatever because there's just sometimes it's like the the medium that you're trying to learn something through or trying to read something it just doesn't work now conversely there's stuff where i can read it but if i start listening to it i space out like i will literally like there's there's books that i've read and then i've tried to like re-listen to them and i'll listen like i'll be like oh i remember this and then like the person's talking and i'm thinking about anything other than what they're talking about so sometimes it goes the other way, but to me, there's nothing wrong with giving up on a book. Um, I, I think that's something that like, I've I've grown to realize that it's kind of one of those things, you know, almost right away. Cause like, so I'm reading the book, uh, you know, I was telling about the one on, on movement right now. And it's like, it's really good. Now I also started reading that Ray Dalio book about how, uh, you know, empires collapse and stuff like that. Not as I good. I love
2: it. You know, so I, I did it the other way though. On the Ray Dalio, he actually. So I I went back to the high school version, right, where I would get Cliff's Notes, yeah, and I would just watch the I would watch the movie and yeah. just hope that the movie was much like the book yeah. and uh, <laughs> write all my reports. But uh, Ray Dalio has like a video that yeah, they does. basically have. Have you seen it? It's fantastic. I love it. Yeah.
1: I, I haven't seen the video, but I know he talks about in the book. Um, okay, and. Yeah. Really think, good. Though I think the book will be good. What I don't like about his writing style is he kind of keeps saying the same stuff over and over again, being like, we'll get into examples like a little bit later and then keeps kind of skimming the surface. I'm like, dude, just get to the damn examples. Good Lord, man. Like I get it country you're doing well. And then you start borrowing and now you're borrowing more and the military. And then, and then you clap. hundred percent. And that's
2: why I think the video was so good. I'm glad that I didn't read the book. Because it's the video is is uh, is made for Mo. It's all animated and keep, nice. keeps you uh, keeps you interested and engaged. And I think they edit it they edit it in a way where like there's not a lot of that redundancy because it really is just trying to say the same thing over and over again, right? Like every empire fo- followed this particular pattern. What's what I found was super interesting about it is that you started to take what he's teaching in the video or the book if you've read it. And you start to try to apply it to what's going on today. And you can kind of see that happening. It's almost, yes. it's almost scary, right? Like yes. uh, the yes. yuan is, is becoming the new reserve currency. And yeah. that is often an indicator yep. of a transition of power. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's been, I mean, yeah, it's funny you say that because to me, what a, a more effective way I think of, of writing that book would have been to, just start getting into examples like, you know, here's the Roman Empire or here's ancient China or here's uh, because he talks about Dutch, the Dutch, you know, when his Dutch Dutch East India trading company and, you know, how the Dutch were the top and then England and all that. Just start going through the examples and then go through the next one and start pointing out the commonalities, because to me, that would be much better. Um, And yes, to see where we are in the U.S. now would be, I think that's why most people bought the damn book is to say, like, how screwed are we? Like, at what point, you know, have we reached the point of, where the next step is going to be revolution civil war whatever it is um, that tends to happen in these countries um and we
2: discussed four basic uh transitions of power and i know it started with the dutch is what he started with at least in the video then where did it transition to it wasn't it wasn't uh british next right or was it i I thought it was four. i thought it was four.
1: um yeah let's see because it would be um us would be well yeah, I don't remember, because I thought it was Dutch, then British, then the U.S., then I guess you could say China. And the U.S.,
2: okay.
1: I mean, you know, that, that's probably the re- that's probably the way things are going. Um, although at the same time, I have my doubts with China, um, even though they are very impressive and they're doing a lot of things. Um, especially with, I, I don't know, who knows? I mean, like, this is just completely... Be,
2: no, no, I want to hear, I want to so, talk about this. What, but, tell well, me, no, but, because I can't find any... I've been doing uh, my own research, right? Looking for the evidence. Yeah. And I can't find any. I can't really find a lot of evidence of people talking about how China is 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 not next in line, right? I, I and they probably,
1: so, they probably are. I mean, like, but it's just one of those things that they they are going to have a um, an issue with population, even though they have a ton of people, obviously, um, because they enact. And even
2: though they they started. Uh, um, with the COVID stuff, right? I mean, the COVID would have probably eliminated a lot of that population.
1: Wow. That's that—that's what Siddiqui's saying there. He's like, man, you know, if they... No, that's what I've, that's what I've been reading did,
2: from. Did uh, there's an author, Carter Fisk, and uh, he wrote a book.
1: Oh, I never wrote that down. Um, no, but... Um, <laughs> but but I, I think they are going to have issues because they had their one-child policy for so long, and yeah. most of the kids just so happen to be men, or boys I, i'm not quite sure how that worked it's just amazing miracle of science that's that,
2: what i'm saying like the so you don't think there's like social it's a communist um and, and you read about some of the really man the uh, i mean you know well, you're getting to these humanitarian issues yeah. uh, of yeah. how you know you don't fall in line i mean you're basically getting imprisoned but they yeah. call it something else over there where like they're just trying to you know uh What was that movie, uh, like Disturbing Behavior, where they're just trying to reprogram you to get in line with supporting your your government? And I just feel like, man, they're probably hardcore into social engineering.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, so- Like I don't think, like
2: when you say that most of the people are boys, right? Like how is, how, I mean, is it just coincidence? No. You know what I mean? I don't mean to be a conspiracy, yeah.
1: I'm saying that they killed a lot of their kids. I'm saying they killed a lot of, if the girls, if they were, were, um, if they had a girl- I'm saying that girl ended up dead. I mean, the, I think that's what happened a lot of times. And now you have a huge imbalance of men to women in China. And you have the fact that most families only had one kid. So um they're facing some potential crazy. future population. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, China's interesting because they always like way overcorrect for things, you know, it was like, they, and it's
2: they- not like they, when you say like, that's, that's simplifying it. Was saying that they only had one kid is almost making it sound like it was a choice. Like a lot of them wanted more kids, right? Yeah. But they it, couldn't have more than one kid.
1: Yeah, you get. I, I forget what happened exactly. Like I don't. I mean, I don't know if you get fined or or whatever it was, but it, it was there was a lot of governmental pressure to only have one kid. Um, So they're they're kind of going to face the consequences of that sooner or later. Um, there's a really good book called. Uh, I want to say it's called the. What was it called? Um, Red Roulette. Um, and what was the guy's name? Um, it's a. It's basically a book about a woman who was a billionaire in China, self-made billionaire. Um, Desmond Shum is the is the author, and this was his ex-wife. Um, they were both real estate developers in China, in mainland China. Um, she was very, very well connected uh, through just understanding the Chinese system and understanding who to know and all that. And she disappeared one day and was gone for years. And he finally got a phone call from her right before his book came out saying like, oh, I'm here and I'm fine, but you shouldn't put that book out because it's full of lies about the Chinese Communist Party and Why would you like that kind of stuff? And this woman was a billionaire, billionaire, and she just up and disappears one day. And so this book kind of goes through this guy's history and how they met and um, a lot of the different deals they did. They did crazy big deals. They did like enormous like airport storage stuff and and just these, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars of deals. But just understanding how they essentially had to bribe everybody, because that's what's so funny about the idea of well, it's all the communist party. It just means like, these are the people you have to bribe. Like everyone is because everyone is making um, the standard salary. It just means that everyone is taking bribe money here and there because um, no one's living on that. And I think that it's sort of the general argument against socialism and things like that is that it just simply doesn't take into account human nature. It's this idea of like, if we do this perfect thing, everyone will act in unity. And it's like, but you're asking people to act in a way that they've never acted in the entire history of mankind. So why would they act this way now? They they just simply won't. Um, so that is sort of it's it's a and really- I almost
2: well see I I and again I think I think that's that's almost being uh, sugar it and, and, and almost simplifying it because I don't because it almost like w- when you talk about that socialist structure it's um uh. Like in an ideal world, right? Yep. In a utopia, yep. in this perfect world. But in reality, I find that the, so the Chinese people are great and wonderful people. The Chinese government, com and the type of communism they have, I think it's I think it's horrible. And I don't. I mean, I think it's uh, I, I think it's even more corrupt because the power is more centralized into a into the hands of a few people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and and it's I don't know. It's just going to be interesting because it's kind of um, it's going to be interesting to see what prevails, because the I mean, the, the government in China is essentially interconnected with all the. To, that was one of the things in this book. It's like to, if you're going to run a business in China, the government is going to be involved. I mean, it's, it's just a given. So you have sort of government maybe partnering with most businesses, maybe getting in the way of certain things, but but actively involved in everything theoretically in the us that's not the case but it kind of is maybe not as much but it kind of is um and i wonder about things like so okay we're jumping all over the place but have you did you see the videos from shanghai maybe about a week week and a half ago where china supposedly had like no covid for like a year and a half which i find very hard to believe but that was the theory and then all of a sudden with the uh, omicron or, or whatever variation i got of it um they started getting high levels of covid again so like in places like shanghai they completely shut everything down like total lockdown like supposedly drones going around seeing if people are out in the streets or whatever and what i heard is you see this video of like towers of you know apartments or whatever and you can supposedly hear people moaning and screaming now i have no idea if this is like actually true or like like connected or if it's even whatever but that's that's sort of the, the stuff that came out and i wonder when when you see stuff like that is that like the government flexing to the u.s being like look what we can make our people do you guys couldn't you know you guys had riots you had this you had that we tell everyone to stay inside they 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 bitch and moan about it but they're all inside like is it a flex you know what i mean because it's like that that idea of Well, the country is the most important thing and everyone's working for the country versus the U.S., the individual is the most important thing. So everyone's working for themselves and like which is going to win out if everyone's working for the country, everyone's working for themselves. Like that's that's kind of maybe what's going to happen with some of these sort of clash of ideologies. And then the fact that in China, the the idea of stealing intellectual property is a given. Like, it's just it's just a given that they will steal whatever they can steal intellectually. So that sort of speeds up the learning curve. If, you know, someone else is doing something and you're like, we better figure this out. And then your buddy's like, oh, well, we could just take their stuff. And you're like, OK, we'll just do that instead. I mean, Yeah, like,
2: especially when they're when they're they're probably the one that's already manufacturing your idea.
1: Well, that's and that's see, that's another thing that's going to be interesting because and this is why I think we're so lucky to live in Texas, because we're seeing some interesting stuff. So, you know, we, I've got friends that work in the car business and they're like, man, it's, it's so hard to, um, to buy a car right now because there's such a shortage of of microchips. Now, as you and I know, because we live in central Texas, uh, Samsung is going to start building microchips in Taylor, Texas, probably in the next two years. I think, I don't know if they've broken ground on that factory yet, but it's, it's a huge deal. It's like an eighteen billion dollar real estate deal. It's one of the biggest real estate deals of all time. And I think at Huddle, there's another place that's going to be manufacturing something like chips as well that's that just got announced pretty recently also. So that's, you know, for people, it's they're close to each other. Um, so I wonder if more and more things are going to start getting manufactured. And now, again, living in in Texas, Tesla went from, hey, Elon Musk is moving to Tesla to, one of the biggest factories in the world built right off the 130 that's already manufacturing Tesla's like you drive by and you see like just rows of, of dark Tesla's now that have been built here in Texas. So um, I, I wonder if is China going to stay the place where everything gets built or is it going to start? Are you going to start seeing a shift of things getting actually manufactured in the U.S.? Because that's another um like you said, you're right. I mean, like, if you have all your intellectual property, but everything's being made in China, it's like, okay, your intellectual property is is part of the Chinese government now. That's just a given. Yeah, Uh, you're basically handing it over to them. So it's like then, so then it becomes a question of like, is there um, the wherewithal to start manufacturing things somewhere else? Like, I mean, is there a way to sort of do a sort of economic embargo against China in terms of you just start starving them of, building stuff, you start building stuff in other places. And then as their people get wealthier and wealthier, well now they're gonna want to buy stuff from other places and have things imported and things like that. So now China becomes a consumer. And if you can make it a consumer of your goods, it's like, well maybe things even out a little bit. Um because I just wonder with yeah. the rate you, know, you know, the idea of of it's basically what to sort of summarize his his book, it's like the idea that you start off as a country poor and then if you find a way to start making money you're making money but you're essentially living like you're poor and people who have immigrant parents in the U.S. like know this story well like the parents come to the U.S. usually they don't have a lot of money and they scrimp and save and some of them become very successful but for the most part they kind of live like they're still poor because it's like the idea of like they were broke like they, they, anybody grows up poor is always gonna be terrified of becoming poor again. It's something that never leaves a person. Like they grow up poor, it stays with them for life. So that's sort of what happens with maybe the first generation of a country that starts doing well, is, is they're living well within their means. And then they start doing well. And when you're doing well as a country, you start getting good credit. And this means you can start borrowing money and expanding. And this is the way you go from doing well to doing to doing really really well becoming very very wealthy if you if you borrow correctly and this is the idea behind real estate and things like that where you know if you take on good debt this is the way you can really really expand your real estate empire much faster and really essentially make yourself much wealthier than if you just bought everything in cash the whole time so now you have this but the problem is and, and as again as people know this if let's take it back to the immigrant family the second generation, not usually, is especially if the if the family's been very successful. The kids of those very successful people, mm, do they have that same work ethic? Sometimes they do. Maybe those kids do, but do their kids have that same work ethic? It, it starts to fade because that hunger. It's just like being the the young fighter. We got young Mo Siddiqui here, looking at his Olympic dreams. He's like, I've got hundred count cotton threads. I don't have silk sheets. I've got rough cotton. I'm getting out there. <laughs> but now we have Mo Siddiqui, multiple time entrepreneur, running multiple businesses. <laughs> the city of Kyle's suit can be named the city of Mo. And uh, Mo looks at himself and says, run? Huh. I'll just pay somebody to run for me. So, I mean, it's, you <laughs> exactly. lose that hunger. So that's kind of what happens to a country in a bigger scale is the idea that now you're borrowing. Now you're living rich, but now people expect to be living rich. So now more people are living on more credit. And this is what we see a lot. I mean, we know a lot of people, we see a lot of people where they're they're almost living paycheck to paycheck, but they have so much credit and so much debt and things like that that they look like they have a lot of money because they have like a nice big house, and they have a nice car and they have nice clothes, but they're constantly in the debt. float. They're they're constantly doing the float, man. They're constantly, and and that's sort of what happens with the country then and the promise is that sooner or later that starts to crumble because that money like you, you print more money you start getting more inflation which is something that we just did and you still have a strong military you still have a good reputation but it's kind of on what you did versus what you're doing so the theory would be that okay the american reputation is the idea okay we came in essentially won world war ii for people had the 50s and the 60s where we were just producing and killing it out there in the world. And but it's like, okay, has it continued in that trajectory or is it sort of floating off the reputation it built? And again, if you go back to a family, it's like, well, are you like super successful or is it you're living off your dad's name or your grandfather's name or the family name? You know, is it is it is Casey Dutton really doing that well? Or was it John Dutton? Or was it John Dutton's dad, you know, I mean, we're using Yellowstone references here now. Um, so, so that's sort of, it. and then you start getting to that point where now when things start to implode and you start getting bigger gaps in wealth and bigger gaps in ideologies, which is that, that's when, when, when the book made me nervous because he starts talking about like the idea of ideology. I'm like, oh, I I do kind of think that's, that's happening in this country right now. Um, now you start running into the the idea of revolution and civil war and things like that and and losing your currency um for being number one just losing your currency in general or you know the dollar has been sort of the currency of choice of so the currency that bitcoin is valued in you know and, and now yeah. the reserve it, it's the reserve it, currency for the world Reserve currency that's the word i was, I was stalling until i remember what the term was so it's been the reserve currency um and many times, one of the things this book points out is the idea of you look throughout history in Europe, for example, now they have the euro, but it's like you had different currencies, different things, all of which are gone. And not all of which disappear because of the euro. Many of them disappeared before that. And it's like one of the reasons why is that they get to this point where they're borrowing so much money that they print money, they keep printing money till essentially their money is worthless. And, you know, that's that's a point where that's the decline of an empire. And, um, it's a little scary because, as you know you as being in the u s, it's like you want to believe I always want to believe that the best days are ahead. And I still think they are. But Dalio's point is that, listen, you don't have to be emotional about this. You don't have to like hem and haw or weep and moan or whatever it might be. You just have to know that historically, this is what's happened over and over again things go through these, I think it's six cycles, these six sort of steps. You, It would really behoove you to know where you are because it'll help you show this is probably where things are headed. And knowing where they're headed, just like Mr. Siddiqui always says, knowing where that ball is going, you wanna be where the ball's going. Don't be where the ball is, don't Yeah, worry.
2: because you can still,
1: 100%, because you can
2: still be ultra successful, regardless if you live in the country that is the number one power in the world. I mean, we see that everywhere, right? Now, look, there's something to be said for opportunity, but also, I think when you have the right mindset and it goes beyond mindset when you're the type of person that has that mindset, has the knowledge, and is willing to take action with the with the knowledge that you have, um, you're gonna you're gonna find opportunity all around you and you're gonna be able to take advantage of opportunity, no matter where you're at, right? Like if you're that person, you're not just, Uh, that person simply because you live in America. Now, don't get me wrong. We've had discussions before, like would LeBron James be LeBron James if he wasn't born in the United States? And you're probably right. He probably would not have the same level of success had he been born somewhere else, but he'd probably still be a pretty good basketball player you know, if he put his mind and his knowledge to it, assuming that he had that and it was presented to him. With that being said, um, man, don't your conspiracy theories get to get to running like when you start to think about transition of power, right? Yep. Man, conspiracy theories really begin to start to float around in your head, and and they're conspiracy theories because they're they're probably not true, and you and even if they were, you could never prove that they were true. Yep. Um, but man, I I don't want to say it because I don't want to you know the one listener that relies on this show. <laughs> I don't want to get banned, but I'm just saying, I mean, in, uh, you, we I'm printed a massive amount, like if we're playing chess and we're like, how can we get the United States government to devalue their own money? How can we get them to create division? Yeah. How You know what I mean? And you know, why did we print all this money? You know, we put pr- we were put into a position where we had to 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 bail out American yeah. families, yeah. right? And
1: that's,
2: that's and, uh, man, what if it wasn't a coincidence? What if we, what if we were forced into that situation? Well, so now we have this transfer of power and now all of a sudden you're seeing, Oh, Oh, you know what? I think it's time we take, uh, Ukraine back. Let's do that. Let's start doing that right now. You know what I mean? It's just like, I don't know. I think that they're seeing that the United States is kind of on their heels and not on the balls of their feet because of where we're at. And, um, are, I think are uh, I don't want to say enemies, but people that want uh, to to take power, yeah um are going to continue to test and try to take advantage of the situation yeah. and see how we'll react to it. and I, I, And I think that, you know, at the end of it, what I took away from uh, listening to Ray Dalio stuff is like there's basically two things that determine. Um, who's who, you know who's running the world? and it's who has the strongest economy? who, who basically, who holds the reserve currency, and who has the strongest military, right? Yeah. And I think it falls upon the reserve currency first and foremost, because if you don't have a strong economy, it's going to be very, very difficult to have a strong
1: military. yeah, right? Yeah. The strong military sometimes will still be there after your economy starts to weaken, but only for so long. I mean, you can only prop that up for so only long. Only
2: for so long, because they, uh, uh, maintaining a strong military is costly. It's a business.
1: It is. Right? It- and you can't
2: run that business without money.
1: Yeah. And it's, man, it's it's interesting because, you know, I've, I've kind of gone back and forth in my head a lot, a lot about this, and I need to learn more about what the CIA does, because I feel like we only hear about the mistakes it makes or the blowback you hear in terms of like, okay, in whatever, 1959, you put in... Sort of a puppet dictator in um, Iran, and you know, then there was you know, the, the revo- revolution in um, 1979. The Ayatollah comes to power, and it's like that sort of led to a lot of the difficulties in the Middle East today. So it's like, why did the U.S. do this if they hadn't done this? And you know, I I listen to people talk about blowback, and the, the blowback meaning that. You're intending to do one thing, but there's all these unintended consequences. And is mm-hmm. like, "Yeah, why do they mess with all this stuff? And, and why are they doing this? Like, what? How does this help the country?" Um, but on the other hand, I think about it, and I'm like, "Well, one way to maintain power is to create chaos in other places that they have to deal with. I mean, because yes, there's there's going to be resentment towards you." But if the chaos is so overwhelming, they have to deal with the chaos. And it's sort of like, you know, you see things from, you know, if you're trying to, um, you know, let's say you're trying to eliminate somebody. Let's say, you know, like a one-on-one thing. Well, one idea of how to sort of make it a little more manageable is, let me light this building on fire. Because now the cops and the and the fire department everyone's going to be focused and looking on this. They're not going to be paying attention to what I'm doing to whoever it is I've decided I have to kill in this uh, fantasy assassin moment of my life, whatever, you know what I mean? Like it's creating distractions, creating chaos. There's going to be a lot of editing on, on this, yeah. uh, on this show. Um, so it's, I don't know, like as much as I'm like, I see the downside of of the blowback and all the things that have happened at the same time, this idea of, Oh, well, if we just don't mess with other people, they won't mess with us and we won't be interventionists. We'll just be isolationists. I'm like, yeah, but the world doesn't really work that way. Like, the more you read about like European. No, it can only work that way if
2: everyone else is doing it, right? It, it's almost like having nuclear weapons. It works as long as nobody has one, but as soon as one person has one, then everybody has to have one, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's the thing about when you, when you, I, like, we've talked about this before, and, and, I, and you know that I'm a big fan of Naval. And yeah. he talks about the games that you choose to play, right? And and you want to stay away from zero sum games where there yeah. has to be a loser in order for there to be a winner. You want to stay away from those types of games. But when you're dealing with governments, then you're dealing with power. And when you're dealing with the power game, there has to be a winner. It's a zero-sum game. There has to be winners and there has to be clear yeah. losers. Yeah. And so the moment you begin to play that game, um, you cannot become an isolationist, right? Yeah. Like you gotta, you, you gotta, you, you gotta play the game because the moment you stop playing the game. And you're just going to think, well, I don't think, uh, you know, these other countries, these other powers are going to try to, no, they're going to take what you have. They're going to take what you have. And that's all there is to it. Yeah. And 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 I think it's super naive for people to think that, no, they won't.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting because I've been listening to, um, there was another book I read where a guy, he was actually a guest on Jocko's podcast. And he was talking a lot about like different things that um cia done and these different things and like how it's caused all this harm and chaos and stuff like that and and i certainly can see how you look at it from being like man this is just kind of messed up and this is kind of embarrassing of our country to have done this um and this is a lot of people were hurt and killed because of this but at the same time it's like but if it wasn't done um i i don't know like i guess i'd sort of look at it from like a like a like a street fighting point of view or a gang territory point of view or something like that, where it's like-
2: It's the lesser of, it's, yeah.
1: Cause it's like- It's you the know. lesser
2: of two evils. Yeah. Really. When you're talking about the power game, there's no good answers. And it's like, okay, so here's the thing. <clears throat> um, you're not living in this ideal world, right? And so once you're, once the people that are in competition with you for power, once they start breaking the rules, it becomes very, very difficult for you to compete with them if you're following the rules. Yeah. So you begin to break the rules and everybody starts to be doing something that becomes questionably, you know, you, uh, immoral. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so like, and that's basically what we see happening, right? Like. United. So, so basically, you know, people are trying to say, well, well, the United States, they need to do everything right, but you know, everybody else uh, is breaking the rules, and it becomes very, very difficult to continue to protect the country, protect the people, remain this hegemon, um, this world leader, um, yeah. at the same time, while like following the rules, right? Yeah. But then, I I don't know. There's no there's no good answer. So I think when you talk when you talk about the uh, uh, like replacing, like replacing a dictator with a dictator that you can control. I, I don't think there's a good option there. I think there's yeah. just you're trying to choose the, the 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 greater good between two evils. Yeah. And that's that yeah. is the problem with zero sum games. That is yeah. the problem with uh, having like playing the power game, right? But well, that game, if you decide not to play that game, somebody else is still yeah. going to play it.
1: Yes. Yeah. And
2: well, you're well, going to get left out.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think that we can look back to recent history where, so okay, so and um, I think it was, again, I remember sometime in the 50s, they they put in that puppet dictator. 79, there was the overtaking, the fall, you know, the Shah came down and you had the Itola come in in Iran. So kind of the opposite strategy was tried in Afghanistan and Iraq, where it's like you try and, okay, we're going to come in. And we're going to try and install democracy and have, you know, open and fair elections and stuff like that. And for the most part, from what I can tell, that was a friggin disaster. I mean, like it didn't really work. And you had. So it's sort of like, well, you're kind of dealing with societies that are very, very complex, that have a lot of rivalries that go back thousands of years. And we're looking at it from a U.S. point of view, being like, oh, these are countries with borders. And it's like, no, that's not how the people that live there. Look at it for the most part. They look at it as I'm in this tribe or I'm in this group or I'm Sunni or I'm Shia or whatever. I mean, like it's much, much different how they look at themselves and who their alliance alliances are with or whatever. Um, so the idea of well, we're just going to install democracy. It's like, well, I, I don't know if it's going to work there, and I don't even know if people want it there. And so then it's like, well, so how do you have influence over there? It's like, well, they only listen to dictators. Okay, so we'll get a dictator. We'll sort of do some of the things we do. And it's like, yeah, they'll they'll eventually decide, well', screw this. I'm a dictator. I can do whatever. In which case we'll probably have to get someone in there to uh, you know, assassinate them. But for a little while, they'll do what we want. And it's like, well, people are like, well, that's terrible. And it's like, okay, so what should we do? But nothing. I mean, like it it's it, it's complicated. It's like like when you know they work the u s. government working with a lot of the cartels in Mexico right now, where they're you know, they work with this cartel and, and all that. And people are like, well, that's terrible. And it's like, well, okay. But you're going to, as as long as drugs and human trafficking and anything else that cartels do are illegal and there's money to be made doing them, they're going to do them. So then it's like, you can try and destroy them, but that becomes very complicated because there's a huge intermix with people. And, and, you know, the police departments are very, very suspect in places like Mexico in terms of corruption and who's working for whom and all that. The people that are taking money from the cartels, it kind of comes down to the old silver lead question for the most part back in the Escobar days that still continues now. It's like you either take their money or they kill you. So can you blame someone for taking money versus now just kill my whole family? Like, of course. So if you're going to work with, but but who else is going to make the change other than the cartels? You know what I mean? So it becomes, it's complicated. Like these things are complicated issues and uh, it's very easy to talk about the downside of those things. But when you're dealing with that much money and power, there's always going to be downsides. Like you and i talked before, like I think, and we actually think we said a couple of podcasts ago, like, I think it's possible for most people to become millionaires in in America, I I do. And I think there's Mm -hmm. live a great life as a millionaire. But to become a billionaire, I really think involves making choices that a lot of people don't wanna make. And I don't mean that just from like a work ethic point of view, but I really mean that from giving up a certain part of your soul, giving up a certain part of your freedom, because your life is no longer your own when you're a billionaire, because there's really, I don't know if there's any like private billionaires. It's like you're a billionaire, your company goes public or whatever. That involves making a lot of, and, you know, just turning into context of what we're talking about, you're going to be working with China. You're going to be working with governments that do scandalous things. You're going to be, I mean, like it's going to involve a lot of decisions that are decisions that a lot of people are not going to have the stomach to make. I mean, you look at like, hey, I love my iPhone. Oh, where do they make this? oh, okay, they had to put a net down so people wouldn't jump to their deaths. versus, I mean, like, are you kidding? But these are the decisions that billionaires have to make. And it, it becomes complicated. Certain amounts of money and power become decisions. There, There's only gray. There's no more black or white. And the people that are judging that can judge it in black and white because that's the world they live in but this world is not black and white. It's, it's all gray. So it, it, it's, I don't know, man. It's, it's always an interesting mental exercise to sort of put yourself in the, in the position of like sort of a leader or something. Yeah, and
2: I think it really comes down like, it really all boils down to as a citizen, regardless of what, what, what country you're a citizen of is who do you want to be in power and, 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 and why? I mean, that's because they're, that game is being played. It's going to be played whether you want them to play it or not. Um, And because that history has shown us that from from the times that there were just like two tribes and one tribe is trying to gain influence over the other tribe and is trying to have more than the other tribe. I mean, it's just it's just human nature. And so this continuing to be this broken record about like, well, why can't we all just? work together and get along and and we split up the resources equally the reason why is because historically human beings have never been able to do that so now it comes down to who do you want to lead and there are no and and once you're playing this power game there's no one that's completely morally and ethically clean and perfect and pure so now it becomes like okay i got to choose the lesser of the two evils who who would i want and i tell you right now who i I can tell you who i don't want i don't want to be in a communist country i don't you know i I mean, I, I, in my opinion, we live in the best possible scenario, right? The best possible scenario. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean,
2: where people can basically talk trash about their government can go out there and, and freaking riot and do whatever and show up to work the next day and, and, and no problems. Right. Uh, Um, and I think people take that for granted. I think a lot of people take that for granted. I'm not saying that things couldn't be better and that, that we shouldn't strive to constantly be better, but again, it's very. I, I think that it's very easy to always look at what you, what, what we don't have. Yeah. When I think we need to spend more time looking at what, uh, or yeah, we look at what we don't have um, instead of spending time looking at those that have, uh, you know, that that have a lot less than us, right? Uh, we always look at people that have more and yeah. how we can get more and how, you know, instead of looking like, man, we can be going backwards, and there are people that are living in a society that is, that they can't, they can't do a fraction of what we're doing, right? Like, and we talk about that. I mean, that's a scary thing, but it's a very real thing. Social engineering. Can you imagine someone coming in and telling you, no, you're just going to have one kid, right? Um, and you know, you're, I don't know. It's just, it, it's just, it's, it's, it's crazy to me. So uh, I feel very fortunate. And like I said, I think, I, I don't know. I think that it's, like you said there's no there's no good answers it's a very complicated and complex uh situation i don't think there is an answer to it i just i think there's just a matter of what people do you know yeah. but yeah. one thing that um i will say is like okay so we know all this stuff is going on right like transit you know you know this constant struggle for power this transition of power um what can people do to continue to be successful what can people to yeah. do to better their lives even though this is happening
1: yeah yeah no it's a, it's a good question and whether it yeah. happens
2: now right like that's the thing right like it may not it may not happen now because it's like you could be the robert kiyosaki's of the world and be like eventually he's going to be right right yeah. but he might not be but he's been wrong for for decades yeah right but eventually he's going to be right gonna yeah. be the, you know we're going to have the the worst economy ever uh because yeah. it's just cyclical and it's going to happen
1: it um is but
2: it's, and we don't know when it's going to happen. And, and yeah. so what, what do you, what, what do you do? What do you do? You know, cause you get all this news about the recession is coming and it, and, and everyone's predicting it's going to be worse than we've ever thought before, you yeah. know, and, you know, and then you have this transition of power, uh, taking place and then you have like the possibility of a world war, you know, is on the brink and, and, and you have all this stuff going on. And, and I think that, um, Where's the silver lining in in all of this, or is there
1: one? Um, with all this stuff, I w- I always say like, start reading history because being caught up in the moment, it, it's it's impossible to tell, and, and and there's so many variables, and you have no idea what one is going to actually matter. And the reason I say history is like, you know, let's take Russia invading Ukraine, people saying it's going to be World War Three. If you if you look at the history of Russia it is basically an expanding and contracting empire over and over again for literally thousands of years at this point kiev was the capital of russia for 200 years i mean like which is now in the ukraine i mean like it has been captured recaptured this that it's you know the, the mongols had it these people had it like it has been a constant back and forth back and forth throughout most of the, em- the emperors of russia like their entire thing was I send people over here and they start and then I send people like it's just a constant cycling of, of that. So this idea of Russia invading Ukraine for the however many time trying to get it back to be part of Russia. This has happened for. Thousands of years, I mean, like it became the capital of Russia because they used to call him Kievan Rus. Um, I think it was Ivan, something like that. So like in 500 A.D. or something like that, like a long, long time ago so that i guess i, I to me is important it's not to dis, you know diminish the suffering and things like that it's just to sort of put it in perspective of like this is not some crazy thing that has never happened in history before it has happened many many times um yeah that's with, a good same point same thing with with all that i mean to me that's why reading something like dalio's book is good because he gives historic examples of of things that have happened um not to panic people but just to sort of show okay these tend to be the signs when you're in this stage, when you're in this stage, and, and and kind of going through the line on that. And so I think knowing history is is important for all that because you see these are the most likely outcomes. But most of the people living in those moments had no idea what was going to happen. So trying to figure out what happened or what's going to happen to sort of feel better, it's like you're not going to know. You can know what's sort of historically most And you likely.
2: know what... you yes and what i would say is what i tell myself this is something that it's it's just the advice that we've we've given to ourselves over and over and over again and i think it's one of the only pieces of advice that holds true is one you don't know what you don't know right like you just don't know what's going to happen exactly what you said but number two and the most important part of it all you're trying to figure out answers to something you don't have control over anyway Yes. So why even try to figure out the answer to like, what's going to happen? It doesn't matter. You you don't have any control. So what do you do? Contro- continue to control what you can
1: control. Yes. And then that's why I think like from a, you know, business investing point of view or whatever, it really doesn't change that much. Um, you know, if there is a recession, um, you know, first of all, people forget. I mean, we we're sort of leaving a pandemic now. Um, which had the greatest drop in employment in the history of since they started doing employment figures. I mean, like way worse than the Great Depression or anything like that. And we got through that pretty, pretty well, like in terms of people you know how people are doing and stuff like that. I'm sure another recession is coming. But I also think that because a lot of people did not see the recession coming in two thousand and eight, People want to sort of over predict it because no one wants to go be on record having not predicted recession coming because a lot of people didn't predict it back in you know two thousand and seven. So now, like, well, I'm not going to get caught with my pants down again, and it's like, okay, fine. Like right. You're right. There's going to be a recession at some point because that's always what happens in an economy. But I would just say that that really presents other opportunities. And I mean, I always take I always take things back to real estate because that's what I know best. And right now, still, when it comes to selling things, you can sell things at close to top dollar, um, which means that when you buy things, you're going to buy things at sort of an expensive price. If prices fall and you get in a recession and stuff like that, okay, you're not going to be able to sell as much, but you're going to be able to buy it for significantly cheaper. I mean, that's that's just what's going to happen. It's like you're up here and here, and now things are going to be down here and here, as long as you still can have that same sort of difference between what you can buy it for and what you can sell it for, you still are gonna make the same amount of money, it's just gonna shift. And there may be opportunities and things like seller financing because it becomes harder for a bank to loan money. So now you have people who have money who might want to you know, buy things on payments. People wanna sell stuff, they may have a harder time selling, so they may wanna sell on payments. So there becomes opportunities that weren't as present over the last maybe five or six years are going to become present again. Um, so I think it's just a matter of, of, as always, you're looking for the opportunity. Because you could, you could easily say that there is, in some ways, there's more opportunity for somebody during a recession than there is during a boom. I mean, you know, again, from a real estate point of view, and you know, I'll just take Austin, I mean, In my mind, there's not a whole lot of opportunity right now because it's turned into all these huge companies doing, you know, hundred million dollar, billion dollar deals right now. If some of them go away for a while, there becomes a little bit more of an opportunity for a smaller, a smaller entity uh, to come along. So it's it's just sort of a matter of, like always, you're looking for the opportunity. You're making sure that your own battleship is, you know, well-maintained running well, staffed with the right people. It's all the same stuff. I mean, it's just, it's something that, um, you know, if you're living with a lot of debt and making risky financial decisions and things like that, you may be fine over the next couple of years, but it's still not smart. If you're making good financial decisions, have good, uh, you know, low debt, high assets, making good money, saving your money correctly, and then you have a recession you're gonna have a lot of opportunity. I mean, like if there's no recession, you're still gonna be fine. It's like, you know, it's sort of like saying like, well, when should you, you know, watch your diet and when should you stay, you know, get in shape or whatever. It's like always. Why would that ever change? Well, I don't have a fight coming up. I don't so like you're still living in your body. You still want to keep you know keep the body maintained well so you can live life. I look at that as sort of your financial life as well.
2: Yeah, that just goes back to just maintaining the discipline, right? It doesn't matter in good times and bad times, you maintain the discipline. It's kind of like, you know, you hear people that uh, have served in the military and they walk around always as if they're in a state of war because they're just maintaining that discipline for when and if that time comes, right? Um, Following the regiment.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's it. So I think that's what, you know, I would say the two things are to get familiar with history as much as possible, because that'll kind of give you an indicator of. Of likely outcomes to what's happening, and then keep your financial ship in order. I mean that that's an always, that's an always thing. But you know, understanding that. It yeah, made- you know,
2: to me this sounds. Yeah, it's like uh, I had a I had a uh, a buddy in the academy, and he would always he kind of he wrote this on his uh, this was like his um his motto, but it was like always be ready, right? Like just mentally, physically, and in every area of his life. And I I really think it comes back to that, right? Like just always being ready for anything and i think that you know i think that's a good way to be in 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 jujitsu i know we've talked about that a lot about you know um you know you'll hear people say oh i'll i'll start taking jujitsu once i get in shape and to me that just always drives me nuts when i hear people say that because right like if you want to get in shape just start doing jujitsu and and then um I, I love your analogy about me be, being a. I, you know i think you can take that analogy to being a fighter right like oh i don't have a fight coming up so i don't have to follow my diet and that's just not the way to to go about it right if you're a professional um you just always be ready always expecting that dana white's gonna call you off the couch to yeah. fill in for a title fight and that could be your moment right like and so you have a lot of people that talk the, talk the talk, but they don't really walk the walk because if they're walking the walk, then they're always ready yeah. for that phone call to come in so they can get on, you know, UFC or pay-per-view or flow grappling or whatever. You know, yeah. I was talking to uh, uh, um, um, one of the people that that uh, does a lot of the uh, organizers that, you know, you've, you've we've met her over at the last EBI here and not the last EBI, but couple EBIs back it was Megan uh, Pardujo, and, and she kind of uh, really helped organize that whole EBI event yeah. and um, uh, she talked about how there's athletes right that like say oh Megan I want to really want to you know talk about getting on EBI or, or whatnot and she's like okay well that's great uh, just make sure you're ready right and part of being ready means you know you have your passport in order right yeah. because the EBI may, may not be here in the States. Yeah,
1: they're doing
2: a lot of um and so. then you know they yeah, they get the phone call, right? And they don't have their passport in order. So they're, they're talking the talk, but they're not walking the walk, right? Like you've got to be ready at all times, waiting for, you know, you're looking for opportunity, but also you have to be ready for opportunity. Yes. You have to have prepared yourself to take advantage of that opportunity. It's like, oh, Carter, I'm looking for opportunity, but guess what? I spent all my money on stupid stuff that I didn't need to buy. So I'm not prepared to take advantage of the opportunity because in reality, if you're the type of person that has been disciplined and you've been saving your money then the recession is the time to actually get into the game, yeah. right? Because that is the time to really be buying assets. So now, when the economy booms back up, now that's the time you can sell your assets, right? And now you now you've jumped into this cycle. Yeah. Um, but if you have no money, then you can't take advantage of the opportunity when it when it you know when these prices begin to drop, it's like you know things things can be half price, but half price is still expensive if you're broke.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. I, I agree. I think that, uh, you know, you look at um, somebody like Bernard Hopkins, I and mean, that guy was boxing at the highest level until almost his mid 50s, which is unheard of in boxing. And one of the reasons why is he was always in shape, always eating, you know, always eating correctly. And so he was always, you know, just almost ready to be in a fight. And I think that when you look historically, the fighters that really balloon up between fights and you know get way out of shape or whatever, they don't have the same long-lasting career. I mean, they may have more fun, but they tend to not last as long hmm. because it's like your body can only get fat and get slim so many times. Like it's it's you can only yo-yo so many times before you kind of yo-yo your way out of there type of thing. And and that's before that string breaks. <laughs> before that string breaks, exactly. Yeah, that poor yo-yo. So it's yeah. <laughs> That's that's an important way, I think, about looking of of really anything. Because I mean, if you're kind of yo-yoing financially and you're getting lots of debt and living way beyond your means or whatever, and kind of riding the wave of a good economy, it's like, man, you have no control over that economy. And as soon as that thing goes south, um, a lot of these people will be screwed. And that's your fault. I mean, because, you know, that that, that is. Like, that's just living, that's relying on being lucky continually versus let me get the ship in order let me get the finances in order now and it's like if there's no recession great no harm no foul if there is you're already ready for it um to me there's nothing there's no downside to being ready you know i can't see any downside i'm not saying be paranoid i'm not saying that like like you said with kiyosaki it's like okay dude (laughs) like you you boy cried wolf man i mean you've just you've said it too many times Um, But that's his whole, that's his whole,
2: that's his whole, that is his business though, that his business is to get people in that mindset. So that way they can, so he can offer the solution, right? So like you tune in so he can tell you, you know, how to avoid that problem that, that, that uh, may or or may not come. Eventually it will come. But yeah, that's the thing. I always hate that people that make predictions. I mean, if they keep, if they keep saying it over and over again for a hundred years, eventually they're going to be right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's the, that's where they're going to capitalize. They're going to be like, I told you, I, I mean, I cannot wait to see the videos Robert Kiyosaki puts out um, when we do go into this recession. Yeah. Uh, if and when we do go into a recession, I mean, we will go into one, right? It's cyclical. It's like you said, it's an economy. Economies go up and they go down. And we've been in recessions before, mm-hmm. you know, lots yeah. of recessions.
1: Yeah, many. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and that's, that's the thing. I mean, people people talk about 2008 and they forget that in 2000, 2001, you had the tech, the tech bubble bust. I mean like the 80s
2: was a bad recession yeah because we had we had double digit and uh we had double digit inflation uh, yeah. in
1: the early 80s the savings and loan scandal you had um oil prices dropping in the uh, the late 80s early 90s that affected like houston and places like that um you yeah you had crazy inflation in the early 80s and late 70s you had the uh, opec embargo in the mid-70s i mean like it has been just sort of a series of ups and downs and that's again why i say like read history because it's easy to be like, oh my God, this is unfair. This is the worst thing ever. It's like, no, you just have more people talking about it now because you have more ways of hearing people talk about it because of technology and stuff like that. But it doesn't mean that like, this is the worst thing ever. It just means that this is like, this is what happens. Like, it's like every time I get on a plane, I hate turbulence, man. God, I hate it. Oh, but at some point I have to realize I'm like, okay, so you shouldn't fly then because with flight, there's wind with wind there's turbulence deal with it you know i mean like it's just one of those things it's just it's it's part of flying um i just hate it and i wish i could get beamed like in uh, star trek but maybe one day so um so yeah
2: or like or like on uh, that teleport uh tele- teleport device uh in the fly that was pretty cool yeah i always thought we were going to have those like phone booths everywhere and we would just be able to you know Pay in crypto and be transported to, like, uh, another country or something.
1: If Seth Brundle had just checked his So data without the fly, effect. Effect. I, don't wanted, like, I don't want to turn it into a fly. You know, but unfortunately, <laughs> just didn't, he didn't check. He didn't have any sort of fly screening device.
2: Yeah, it's all perspective. I mean, some people are like, man, that's pretty cool. You became a fly. Think about what I could do.
1: It was cool at first. But, uh, yeah. He was, like, like, getting super buff and he could do all this cool stuff. But then, like then it got a he little bit that
2: dude's arm off on the yeah. wrestling competition and like all the girls were really impressed
1: yeah it was it was going good for a little bit and then he started vomiting on people and like then he actually turned into an actual fly i'm like oh see that's not as good
2: i knew it was going downhill when his hair started to fall off or like his skin started to yeah. come off i was like yeah. eh, this is not fun anymore
1: yeah you'd want to be like just <laughs> you don't want to become a fly you just want to be part fly like the good part of a fly then it would have been good. Like if like if he, Spider-Man. Yeah. yeah know, know, I don't him. want to be a spider. Like, I don't want to be an actual spider. Yeah. I mean, if if that had like been the end of the like the movie where he just breaks the guy's arm, he's like, dude, it's pretty bitching. And then he just goes off, and it's like six years later, and he's still just kicking ass and having a great time. You'd be like, I I would like to become part fly as well. Like like we could have made it like into a much different movie, but it but it got real dark and kind of gross. So. <laughs> no, <well. laughs> Yeah.
2: boom the, the, always be ready that is the mic drop um to re to or to check out this episode or to re-listen to our past episodes go to the jiu-jitsu of life also check us out on apple itunes like review Subscribe. Um, shout out to Robles, makers of the world's finest custom jujitsu jitsu apparel. Nobody can be you better than you. Be authentic. Robles, we make custom keys. Yellow Pine Investments makes custom warehouses. Be sure to check them out. If you are looking for a new website for your dojo or academy or maybe a logo, check out Quantum Leap Digital Design. And if you're in the Austin area, check out Chaperon Moving. They have Moving Down to a Science. As always, I'm Mo. That is my brother and partner in crime, Carter Fisk. And we wish you guys nothing but the best, both on and off the mat. Thank you for listening, guys.
1: Thank you, guys.
0: That's it for this episode of the Jiu-Jitsu of Life. Your hosts are Carter Fisk and Mo Siddiqui. This podcast is brought to you by Bliss, makers of the world's finest custom Jiu-Jitsu apparel. You can subscribe to the Bliss newsletter to get the exclusive content at com. You can find more episodes of this show on our website at thejujitsuoflife.com and you can subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening and we wish you a great week both on and off the mat.